0: Yes, yes. Welcome back to my podcast, Hints and Guesses. This is Kent Dobson. What is this podcast? I don't know. It's a conversation around soul, meaning, poetry, death, love, parenting, um, myths, stories, the Bible. Those are a few of my favorite things. And I'm I'm encouraged, I'm actually encouraged, not just me, but I'm encouraged that there are so many voices out there who are making podcasts and writing books and writing blogs who are interested in the deeper conversations. I think so many of us are so sick to death of the paper-thin culture that we live in, of tweets and banners and one-liners and ideological mudslinging both in the world of politics and spirituality and i don't know are are curious and hungry for 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 the deeper streams not that my podcast is like super deep i just mean i want to be a participant in the great conversation in the great conversations about what it means to be a human being what it means to be a human being in the 21st century right now on this planet that uh is suffering in ways uh, human beings have never known and are just becoming conscious of. And uh, what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of, what kind of people do we want to be? And anyway, those are that's the aim, I guess, at least in part of, of this podcast. And I want to thank you for listening to it and for spending your time. I don't know. Podcasts are amazing because you can do other things and listen to podcasts at the same time. It, it's not as demanding as reading a book, for example. But anytime you spend 30 minutes, an hour, sometimes a podcast are even longer, uh, listening, I, I'm grateful. And I want to thank specifically my Patreon supporters. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It means a lot. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so through my website kentdobson.com or through patreon.com forward slash Kent Dobson, and because of your generous support i have a new mic which i i'm i'm excited about and it's gonna take me a while to dial it in so please uh, uh, bear with me but it's a good mic and thank you jeff for hooking me up with a sweet deal on this mic and uh, anyway, I hope not to blow out your ears and, or it's so quiet that you can't hear. So let me take, it might take me a bit to dial it in, but nevertheless, your support paid for this mic. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, concerning future things, um, I am about to leave for a couple weeks. I have an animus program. As some of you've heard me mention before, I'm a I'm a part of um, Bill Plotkin's Animus Valley Institute. I'm in their guide training program, or it's really called Soul Apprenticeship and Initiation Program, to sound fancy. And I've been in it for a couple of years. So I go to various trainings. I have a dream work training coming up in June. I'm really excited about that. So I will be away from the internet and away from email and my family and podcasts and diving deep into the deep structure of dreams and how to work with them. And actually, my podcast today is kind of in part about that. I want to talk about David White's poem, What to Remember Upon Waking, which on one level is is, a, is about a dream, and or about our dreams, and also on another level, I think it's about something else, something even richer. So that's kind of the direction I'm going. I also want to talk about memory. I want to talk about, I don't know, being a freaking parent and... um and hopes and aims for our kids and for the next generation those are things that have been floating around in my mind so I'll be gone for a little while and then I have a half ironman which I <laughs> I can't believe I signed up for I've been doing triathlons for the last few years but never you know the big distances and so I signed up for a half ironman with my college roommate and one of my good friends from Israel who now lives in Madison Wisconsin which is where the the ironman is so even now, as I'm talking about it, like I have butterflies in my stomach. I feel sort of sick to my stomach. Like I, I haven't done the training I need to. I'm on the, kind of a minimalist training plan anyway. What's I just want to finish, but I don't know. I'm nervous and, um, but anyway, that's that's what's coming up for me. But but when I get back, I'll be offering some additional programs. So check my website, kentopson.com. One of them will be an an online program, which I did over the course of the winter, which I called Winter Descent, and I want to do one over the course of the summer. And in the winter one, people from all over the United States and even some people from Germany joined in this uh, program. So the idea is a small group of us get together over Zoom, and I think this one will be once a week for a month. And this one specifically will be about how to deepen the conversation between who you think you are and the soul. I'll be talking about particular practices, and um, and we'll work with a few uh, myths and stories. But anything that that can deepen the conversation between soul or the deep self, the true self, and I still very much like the word soul, even though sometimes I don't even know what I mean by it, and it can often be misunderstood and misused. I can't think of a better one. It's kind of like the word God. What? I can't think of a better one to talk about the the mystery of the wholeness of reality. Well, same for the soul. The mystery of of who we are in our essence is kind of what I mean by a word like soul. But it's it can be really rewarding to talk about some of these things in a small group. And and it's interactive too. It's not just me sort of lecturing. And you can join live or And I also record them. So if you miss a session or if you want to watch a session, you can go back to the previous one. So anyway, look for the details if that's something that interests you. So that's coming up this summer. And that's about as much... Well, maybe I should throw out one little um, shout out. I have another trip that I'm planning to Israel with uh, a church called East Lake in Seattle. Well, it's near Seattle. And I've taught out there a ton. This is my friend Ryan Ryan Meeks' church. And a couple years ago, I did a, uh, a pilgrimage to Israel, and now some more people want to come. So that's coming up next January, but I probably will have some spots available for the public at large. The main group will obviously be leaving out of Seattle, but it's possible to, to join from anywhere. So contact me again through the website if that's something that interests you. In addition, if you live in the Pacific Northwest, check Eastlake Community Church, Google it, or they also have a nonprofit associated with that, and I can't think of the nonprofit's name. It'll probably come to me in a second. And um, anyway, in in combination with uh, with their own nonprofit and East Lake, I'm going to be leading a couple of retreats with Ryan Meeks this summer. Wilderness retreats—I call them wilderness within. One is a backpacking one, and one is kind of uh, a car, more of a car camping situation. So if that interests you and you live in that part of the world, please hunt down um, hunt down uh, Eastlake Community Church, find out the information. It'll probably fill up pretty fast, so if, um, if it's already full, you can get on a waiting list. And Ryan and I, we've done a couple of these in the past, and we will continue to do them, so at least you'll be in the loop for future programs. So that's enough uh, of what's kind of going on for me. Let's jump into the podcast. So, it was a strange couple weeks in my life. For one thing, I was sick, and I hate being sick in the spring. I know I'm kind of complaining about small things like, "Ooh, he's got an iron man and and he's nervous about that and he has a cold <laughs> and allergies." Yeah, <laughs> poor me. I know. But it's it's kind of disappointing to have a cold in the spring when everything is sort of coming back to life and and, and even sort of my own creativity, I feel like I got a lot of ideas. I got an idea for a couple of new books and But I don't know, my body and said uh, no for a little while. And I don't know, so that was a, a, a weird place to be. And at the same time, my daughter graduated from high school, my oldest daughter, which is an amazing, incredible, weird seems perfectly normal and natural. And also how the hell did I end up like this? How did I, I, when I, I knew this was coming and I, I didn't know this was coming at the same time. And I've all kinds of mixed emotions about, about her graduation. And, and it kind of put me in a more nostalgic mood in a, in a mood of remembering, not only remembering what it's, what it's like to be a dad and, and, and the the strangeness of being a parent, and and the beauty, and the joy, and the pain, and the love that's associated with parenting, but also just looking back in general, I had this image this morning, and I think I originally got it from Joseph Campbell. He talks about this goddess, I believe, in India that has three faces. At least this is how I'm remembering it, and this is I. Um, even if it's not quite what he said, that's how I remember it, speaking of memory. But anyway, the, the, the goddess has three faces, and one is facing forward, sort of the, the, I think, the the gaze of the now and the present. The other face is looking forward to the imagination of the future, and the other face is looking backward toward the past, toward what, what was, what came before. And the way I this image sort of struck me this morning, it just popped into my head, was that I think maturity, maybe psychospiritual maturity, is a cultivation of all three, having all three faces at the same time. I know in kind of spiritual circles, there's so much talk about the now, the now, the now, the now, and almost like a worship of just stay present to the now, but that's also not exactly what the human experience is like. One part of us is imagining the future, and one part of us is remembering the past. And maybe it's in the alchemical mixture of all three that the fullness of who we are uh, comes to being. And and maybe maybe just to, to play a little trick, of course, you can only imagine the future or remember the past in the present. So that forward-facing gaze is maybe what holds the two together. But, but nevertheless, I think remembering has a place. And something about graduation was like i said nostalgic and and brought out all kinds of memories and and also it it coincided with memorial day so like once a year even if, as a culture we say something like remembering is important and and remembering what is important <laughs> is important cuz you know maybe maybe on one hand to be a human is to to forget a lot. And um, and f- maybe forgetfulness has a place. You can't remember everything. And and God, I mean, how, how boring would your life be if you remembered every single uh, minute detail? It would be overwhelming. So, one part of us needs to forget, and another part of us needs to remember and to, to cling to the the memories that have shaped us. And I also want to broaden that out to culture, I sometimes think I think about that phrase like "never forget." That's associated with nine eleven, and 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 I was there. I was alive. I, I in fact, my daughter was just a was just a newborn when that happened. My same daughter that graduated this past week. And uh, I don't want to forget. But what do I mean exactly by that? And what do we mean by a culture never forget what the event, the tragedy? Well, and also all of the circumstances and historical realities and wars and ideologies and mistakes and successes we made as a culture that were ingredients in how that came to be. So remembering is sobering. It's it's not just um you know standing up and clapping at a parade or saluting or putting a flag on your house. None of those I'm I'm against, but um you know and even to remember our veterans my brother's a veteran he served in Iraq twice and and also in Africa and yeah it's we want to honor the men and women who have in on one level i think put their own well-being second to the the well-being of you and i and of the culture and of 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 America and 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 of course, any kind of war, we know this, I don't care if you're conservative or liberal, it's morally ambiguous and we don't get it right. It's it's always a combination of maybe some successes and some failures and some blind spots and and some regrets. And yet still men and women say, I'm gonna do that anyway, I'm gonna sacrifice my own well-being and my future at times. Um, and actually, sometimes ultimately, for the well-being of other people, and that that has to be honored. But part of remembering on Memorial Day is also remembering how we got it wrong. You know, we have to, it's sobering, how we got it right and how we got it wrong. In our various wars and conflicts, we have to also face our blind spots. So, memory is troubling, is, is what I'm saying, and... um yeah, and and I was thinking about um, about this because someone came up to me, actually more than one person, and said, "So you graduated your first and and I guess I've heard that kind of phrase before. You graduate somebody, but of course until you have a graduate, it's like in one ear and out the other. And and right away I thought mm, that's a strange phrase." I didn't graduate anybody. That was kind of the feeling. Like, did I do this? Uh, what role did I play? And as, and as I look back on the last 18 years, it's like uh, um, I just suddenly remember the, the the title of one of Thomas Merton's books, Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander, which I think is a fantastic title, by the way. Well done but i feel like a guilty bystander like guilty in the sense of i participated in this for good and for bad and also i'm a bystander in this emerging life and that's i don't know that's what it feels like to be a parent at at times and parenting is like really troubling and when my when my book bitten by a camel came out here was like the general response i got from people i got a lot of wow Um, thank you for telling a bit of your story and I resonate with your questions about Christianity and, and how it troubled you and, and people connected with kind of the, maybe the theological, um, structure of the book or the background of the book and how I was wrestling through some of these things and how I was beginning to think about faith and unlearn things about faith and so forth. But most of the time, when it came to the Q&A, it wasn't details about, you know, well, you use that quote from Augustine. Is that really, did he really say that? Or is that, you know, or whatever. They weren't like theological abstractions. People wanted to know two things. Well, I'm in an intimate relationship and my partner's not quite on the same page. What do I do? So they want to talk about relationships. And the other question was, I don't know how to be a parent. I don't know what to tell my kids. I don't want to give them the same fundamentalist baggage that I had, but I also don't want to give them nothing. Help! And I thought, yeah, me too. Like, those are my troubling questions, which I guess I'm taking as a kind of challenge. Like, yeah, all right, let's talk about the real stuff. Let's talk about intimate relationships. Let's talk about intimate relationships with partners and parents and friends and the earth itself. After all, that is our most fundamental and fundamentally obvious relationship. And it's real. And more than ever, we need a conversation about that. And let's talk about our 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 relationship with the next generation, whether you have kids or not. What's worth remembering? What's passing on? What is wisdom? What is truth? What do we hope for them? What are our aims? What are our own aims in life? And also, uh, what kind of world are we giving our kids? And what do we hope for them, these are these are the hard things of just wrestling with culture and nature and history and stories and meaning. Not that I'm going to do all that in this podcast, but I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm taking that as a kind of challenge. And, and a couple of um, months ago, maybe about a year ago, I read a book that really disturbed me called The Soul's Code. And it's a book by James Hillman. And here's the basic premise he says that the soul is something like an acorn. And the acorn has already built into it a kind of psycho-spiritual DNA. These are kind of, I'm kind of interpreting it. He doesn't use those exact words. And the psycho-spiritual DNA has the capacity and the possibility to grow into a magnificent oak tree that's rooted in a particular place and in the world. And and he goes on to say, this is his metaphor for the soul, and, and he goes on to say that this acorn is very subtle. And it has aims of its own. And it seems to operate almost regardless of circumstance and education and our best laid plans and our egoic attempts at making a name for ourselves or not or all of our spiritual spiritualizing and attempts to be religious or not, something like the acorn continues to lay its own code, um, and, or, or maybe it's following a blueprint that we're only barely aware of, something like that. And he goes on to give some of the most disturbing examples you can think of of parents who did everything right and parents who did everything wrong. And he almost says something like, and it doesn't matter, that the acorn goes the way the acorn goes. And that's not exactly the same thing as saying, uh, being sort of fatalistic, and it doesn't matter what you do as a parent, or it doesn't matter the acorn's going to go the way the acorn's going to go, because it does matter. But it doesn't matter And that's the paradox that has to be held. And that's the tension in hearing something like, you graduated somebody this week. No, I didn't. And also I did, sort of. (laughs) The acorn was still operative, and I have no access to that. That's not mine. That's not my possession. The acorn, the soul, the seed of my own children is not something I possess. Maybe at best I can create a kind of container in which that can grow. But that's the troubling thing about the book. He's saying there can be really shitty containers. You can be a shit parent, or you can be a fantastic parent, and sometimes the acorn goes the way it's going to go. That's sobering. But that also rings true when I reflect back on my own life. I think one of the more down-to-earth spiritual practices any of us can do is to ponder, how did I end up here? How did I end up here sitting in front of this brand new microphone, making a podcast, talking about soul, talking about parenting? No part of me in my wildest imagination could have dreamed up all the many things that would have to happen to bring forth, I don't know, this podcast or or even to, to say this is a bit where I'm at in life. I mean, who is in charge of this thing? I don't imagine a mechanistic god up there with puppet strings, and I don't imagine a, "I am the captain of my fate, Invictus kind of um, uh, energy that I chose this through a series of, of strategic uh, decisions. No. <laughs> Almost in spite of myself, I ended up finding my way. Into all these things, I've been thinking about this anyway. Because what would I say I'm into right now? Conversations about soul and God and and meaning, and and I don't want to be anywhere else. What that? What else is there to talk about? And I don't feel like in ten years I'll be talking about anything different. I I feel like I stumbled into, and I really mean that, stumbled and fell into, um, into the things that I'm into. I didn't exactly choose them, and in fact, in times I ran away from them, and that was part of the bit too. And it's like damned if you do and damned if you don't. There, that cliche. There's some truth to it, and that's a bit of the soul's acorn, perhaps. And and I don't know what can we hope for our young people. I guess we can hope something like that they will live into who they truly are, and. I guess that's part of, maybe another way of of saying it, is to remember who they truly are in the depths of their being, in the way the the seed is shaped, that they'll recover and discover a bit of that, and to plant that out in the world, to live that out in the world. And and maybe a a bit of our own um, (laughs) responsibility in this, Jung wrote that the greatest burden that um, a parent can give a child, or I think it's the greatest burden that a child bears, the greatest burden a child bears is the unlived life of the parent. I first heard that quote from one of uh, James Hollis's books, I think it's uh, Swamplands of the Soul. And I, that just that just um, cut me like right to the core. Oh, okay. Yes, I'm a parent, and I have res- sacred responsibilities to help protect and feed and love and nourish and and get to know as best I can this child. And also, the greatest burden I potentially can can put on them is my own unlived life. In other words, when I'm not living my own fullness, when the acorn uh, remains without soil then that kind of burden becomes the heaviest to bear and so the question is something like what is my unlived life what is what is mine to bear and do and be in the world what's what's the the sequential psycho spiritual sequen- sequential dna of my own acorn and what? How does that want to spread its branches against a future sky? That's to hint at the poem I'm going to read in a second. That's David White. What seed waits in you to spread and to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? Yeah, so what's mine to bear and to do and to be in the world. And in a way, that becomes the kind of living soil that nourishes the acorn of the people in our own life, like our own kids. So my kind of metaphor for that, because what are we talking about? The soul, the acorn, the, uh, the unlived life. Sometimes I like to think about it as a voice, what I call the voice beneath the voice. And maybe that really resonates with me because I'm I'm a public speaker. So I I don't know, I use my voice and I write, so that's which is a, a kind of voice. I use my voice out in the world. And and yet I also know that there's a voice beneath that, that has its own song and tune and kind of speech. And every once in a while, I feel like almost in spite of myself, that comes through, that comes out of hiding just for like a second, for a moment. And that's, I think, maybe to come back to the acorn, a bit of the acorn growing deeper roots and or a bit of the branches beginning to um, grow against a future sky and at least that's the metaphor that works for me. And, and what am I hunting for and listening for? In some ways, the voice beneath my own voice, um, the true voice or the truer voice that may have a song to sing that I, I yet know very little about. So what am I saying? Like, in so- <laughs> what am I saying I even believe about this? I, I, I guess I would say I, I believe something like we, are, we must live our own story. And and the meaning of our own lives as fully as we can to do what ours, what is ours to do in the world, um, and to follow our own acorns unfolding as best we can with trial and error. Um, you know, life itself is, it's like, it's like a crucible, like, um, the calling of the acorn or the voice beneath the voice is, is like a crucible or it's a, it's a cauldron, a fiery cauldron that has suffering and joy and meaning and purpose and death all in the mix. And, and to say yes to that, to the cauldron is to live a life of vitality, I suppose. Um, And in doing so, I hope that my own kids and, The next generation uh, is inspired to do the same. So, I don't know. That brings me back to questions about memory, what to remember upon waking. And I don't know, here's a bit of the poem. Well, I'll read the whole thing. So, again, from David White, what to remember when waking in that first hardly noticed moment in which you wake, in that first hardly noticed moment In which you wake, coming back to life from the other, more secret, movable, and frighteningly honest world where everything began. So, on one level, he's talking about the dream world. Which is definitely frighteningly honest. That's why I work with my own dreams and I work with other people on dreams, is because it's frighteningly honest. Our personalities and subpersonalities and instincts and and drives and and shadows. I mean, they all come out to play. And it's frighteningly honest. Our our egos um, are often the very thing that's getting confronted and taken on by by the images and stories that seem to to move about in this frighteningly honest world so he says there's a small opening when you first wake there's a small there's a small opening into the new day which closes the moment you begin your plans so this moment opens and then closes the moment you start plans like oh yeah I got to do A, B, and C, and I got to do this, and I got this to accomplish and make and so forth and so on. And nothing wrong with plans. In fact, you need plans. The strategic mind, oftentimes, you know, spiritual people say the strategic mind, the ego is the problem. And I say, no, I I don't think so. I mean, my strategic mind is why I have a new mic, you know, and and I thought, oh, well, what? and why I'm making a podcast. I mean, the strategic mind, the ego is involved in that kind of stuff. But yet, there is something else. There are more hidden aims and that are beneath the strategic plans of our own minds. So he goes on, What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can plan is too small for you to live. And I, this is such a straightforward truth to me because yeah, my best laid plans. I, I could have never imagined the life that I have now and the kids I have and where I live and, and what I'm doing and and the relationships that are important to me. What you can plan is too small for you to live. It's not that planning is unimportant. It's just oftentimes too small. He says, what you can live wholeheartedly will make plans enough for the vitality hidden in your sleep, that there's a stream a vitality coming up out of the underworld, out of the sleep, out of the depths, out of the dream world, out of the dream of the earth, if you want to go that deep, that if we only but say yes to wholeheartedly bringing this forth, plans enough will be made. Partly our strategic mind and oftentimes not our strategic mind. These are my interpretations of the poem. And then he, then he has this fantastic line, which I've used before, and I, I'm sure I've used it on this podcast to talk about the soul. Um, Bill Plotkin turned, turned me on to this particular poem, and he also uses this poem as a way of talking about the soul. He says, To be human is to become visible. To be human is to become visible, while carrying what is hidden as a gift to others. So to be human is to become visible, to show up. To show up uh, to come up out of the dream world and, and the aims of the soul, I might say, or the voice beneath the voice, or the acorn, and to grow, to, to grow up out of the soil into the future, to become visible while carrying what is hidden as a gift to others. That somehow the hiddenness, the secrets of our own depths and our own soul and the contact we have in the, in the quietest moments, it remains hidden, and that's part of the gift that's brought forth. Then he says, to remember the other world in this world is to live your true inheritance. And here we are remembering again. So, I think on the one hand, he's talking about the unconscious, the soul, the the depths of of who we are. To remember that and to bring that out into the world is to live our true inheritance. And if I can make a kind of cultural leap, that's also why I think... We must ask what has come before us and to remember the inheritance, the wisdom tradition, the stories, the myths, the legends, the images that have helped shape humanity for good. We must remember and carry with us into this world. That's a bit of a leap from the poem, but I think the word remembers what takes me there. And then he has a a, a series of, of statements here, which I find are powerful. He says, you are not a troubled guest on this earth. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. God, we need to hear that. You're not an accident. You were invited from another and greater night than the one from which you have just emerged. You were invited from another and greater night than from the one which you have just emerged. Almost as if something God, the universe, the soul, the earth, dreamed you into existence. You had no say in it, just like you have no say in what comes up out of your dreams. And then he asked some questions. Now, looking through the slanting light of the morning window toward the mountain presence of everything that can be, what urgency calls you to your one love? What urgency calls you to your one love? I don't know if he really imagines a human lover here, but maybe it's much more like the soul, the voice beneath the voice, the true self, or the acorn and its aims. What calls you to that or what urgency calls you to that love? He says, "What shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky?" What seed waits or what shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? Is it waiting in the fertile sea?" he says, "In the trees beyond the house?" and the life you can imagine for yourself. And here are those three faces again. They just pop back into my head. The face of the the present and the face looking toward the future and the face looking toward the past. The life you can imagine for yourself is like that face looking forward in the open and lovely white page on the writing desk. Something of your life in the moment, in this moment that you're listening to this podcast right now, there is a open and lovely white blank page in front of you what are you going to write you know that's that's the question of the poem what are you going to write and how are you going to know what to write and he says something hidden wants to come forth some voice that you only get to taste from time to time wants to be heard in the world wants to sing its song out in the world beneath our personas and egoic strategies and all this kind of stuff, in the open and lovely white page on the writing desk. So what do I, I don't know, what do I hear him asking? I think he's asking something like, are you going to live the truth of your own life? Are you going to pursue the truth of your own way of being in the world? Are you going to, tell the truth of your own way of being in the world. What else is there? In In both senses, the pursuit, the longing to discover and recover such a thing, and also the pursuit and longing to live that forward, to bring forth who we are in the world, in service to the world, to others, I don't know, to the earth. There doesn't appear to be a greater calling. Maybe in that sense, there's only one great calling, which is something like to live the truth of your own life forward. And I'm not saying that that's easy. In fact, the older I get, the more I realize how many illusions I still have about who I am, how blind I still am, how how much I still hurt people, how much I'm still caught up in in unhelpful and unhealthy patterns, and how how often I don't show up. And what shows up is just my habitual defensive um, posturing rather than than the voice beneath the voice. And you know what I'm talking about. You, you know when you're talking to someone and all of a sudden something comes out of their mouth that is the truth. And I think the truth is the right word for it. And you know it's the truth because it resonates in a certain way and it's like, All right, the mask is not talking, but something else is talking, and and like we're hungry for that sort of stuff. We're hungry for the truth, and we live in a post-truth world, so to speak. And I mean that in two senses. I mean, I mean it in the kind of political sense right now. I, I hate to say this, because. I don't like a lot of what Trump says and does, but when he says fake news, he's not 100% wrong. <laughs> there is loads of fake news. There are loads of one-liners and headlines that have no depth, that spin the truth and on the right and the left, and we don't know who to trust anymore. In fact, I think almost without exception, we don't expect our politicians or leaders to tell us the truth anymore. We actually expect them to lie to us. Sometimes maybe we want them to lie to us. Other times I think we just have that low expectation when it comes to what it means to be a leader. We think, well, I don't think this person's going to tell me the truth, but maybe they'll make my life, I guess, a little bit better. So, what the hell? I guess I'll vote for them, or I won't worry that much about it. And it's it's like um, I don't know, we're fatigued in this quest for the truth. And um, which reminds me of a couple of things. And so so let me take take a uh, a small detour for just a second. So a couple months ago, I heard Michael Mead give a podcast, Another one of my teachers, I suppose. And uh, he was talking about one of the rivers in the underworld, which he called Lethe, which is the uh, river of forgetfulness or the river of unmindfulness. And actually, Plato says that souls, when they enter the underworld, they have to drink from the river of Lethe, from forgetfulness, so they won't remember their waking life. And the shades, by the way, in the underworld also drink to forget their earthly life. And they're sort of like these haunting sort of half alive, half dead ghost-like figures in the underworld. And they're drinking to forget. I mean, th- I think in some ways that's that's why we, where we get the cliche to, to drink so we forget our problems, which works. It totally works until it doesn't work until the morning or until a couple days later. You're like, okay, um, I, my problems are still here. They followed me. <laughs> so there's something powerful about about this river and and maybe maybe i said this kind of at the beginning of the podcast but you know forgetfulness can sometimes be a gift we we don't end up carrying every single thing that happened to us forward in the world so maybe we all need a little lethe but to drink deeply from the river of forgetfulness is to lose contact with the truth think about the congressional hearings and how many have we heard now where somebody says i don't recall i don't recall intentionally drinking the river of lethe or or maybe pretending but it it doesn't matter there what's interesting about that phrase i don't recall it's a if i can translate that i am not going to tell the truth i don't know what the truth is and i'm not going to let you into the truth and you and and it leads us into greater despair. And this is drinking deeply from from lethe. This is being a shade. This is being half dead and half alive. It's like the zombies. I, I often think about what is our obsession with zombies, but they're half alive and half dead, and they're eating flesh of of living beings. And there's something so striking about that that image. Um, I don't know exactly how it parallels with with the shades, but I'm just saying um, to to forget is to leave the truth in some way. And we do that personally. We forget the truth of our own lives, um, and we do that culturally. We take big gulps of the river Lethe every time we think the ticker at the bottom of CNN is the most important thing, or 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 the or the urgency that calls to us to keep up with the most recent trends and. What's on Twitter and and urgent, 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 urgent. Um, oftentimes that comes with a with a shot of lethe and forgetting how we got here in the first place. So I think that's a very interesting, and then probably a lot more that that can uh, be said about that. And, and maybe I should give you some Heidegger because um, I was doing a little research. I gave a talk at at C three here where I teach, um, and in West Michigan here and. Um, So I found this quote from Heidegger when I was um, working on uh, a talk I did on Lethe. And so Lethe, he says, is what he calls the concealment of being. The concealment of being. Concealing who we truly are. And he says um, that forgetting of being is the major problem of modern philosophy. So he sums up all of modern philosophy as... um, as trying to remember in a sense who we truly are. And that the problem is that we've forgotten. We've forgotten being itself. We've forgotten what it means to be a human being. We've forgotten the the, the meaning of being itself. So that's on the one hand, that's Lethe, that's the river of unmindfulness and forgetfulness. But there's also another river. And it's connected to Nemasani, who's a goddess. I may be saying your name incorrectly, I don't know. It's where we get words like mnemonic. And mnemonic, if I remember correctly, is like patterns of memory or how to remember things, mnemonic devices. So you can hear s- something in it of memory, which is in the root word itself. And um, um, pneumosony s- It creates or is the the goddess of a pool in the underworld, and the pool is the pool of memory. So, deep in the underworld, you have the river of forgetfulness and you have the pool of memory. So, again, in the like holding the tension of opposites, maybe a bit of both are needed at certain times. But um, the interesting thing about uh, Pneumocene is that she is the mother of the muses the nine muses. And who are the muses? The muses are those spirits of creativity, those visitors that give us, uh, poetry and songs and art and dance and new business ideas and, uh, creative love letters, and creative parenting, and it's that thing that whispers in your ear and you think, I have no idea where that came from, and it felt like it really didn't come from me. That's the muse. Those are the muses. Those are those feminine, spirit-like, energetic things that, that flow up from, from deep beneath and whisper something in your ear. The amazing thing about that kind of creativity, the, the uh, image in the underworld, is that it's connected to memory. And that to me, the way when I first um discovered this, I thought, man, that that's strange. I would not have guessed that. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's a relationship between memory and creativity, or memory and innovation, or the old stories, myths, patterns, um, deep pool of what has gone before us and what's fresh and needed, or the face that's looking backwards and the face that's looking forwards. But I hear it in David White's poem because he's asking the question, what needs to be remembered from that hidden world? What needs to be remembered? How do we carry what is hidden forward into this world? But he ends the poem by asking about the blank white page. What are we going to live forward? What what, what tree is going to grow up out of the acorn? and spread its branches against a future sky. That somehow, in order to answer the question of the lovely white page in front of us, and more than ever, I think, we have to have active imaginations about the future of what it means to be a human being on this planet. We have to have a new consciousness, a new imagination, new stories, new innovative images and songs and structures and economies and businesses and, and modes of travel and living situations. And We need, wildly we need creativity, but that does not mean we, we should or uh, cut ourselves off from the past, from the, this deep pool of memory. In fact, we have to say something like, what has come before us? What are the stories that have brought us this far? It, it's almost like time is a winnowing fan anyway. So time just does time's thing, and, and some things stay and some things go. But the things that do stay, we have to hold again. Each generation and say, what is worth repeating? What is, what is worth listening to? What wisdom is deeper than Twitter. We have to say that. And I just think it's interesting that our capacity to do so, to drink from this pool in the underworld, seems to affect, symbolically, our ability to have fresh and creative ideas, to be visited by the muse. So to remember seems to be vitally important to live something forward in the world. Maybe that's one reason why, um, why when we... When we listen to a great piece of music, and, um, or we hear a poem or a story or a story from the Bible, or, and, and something in us stirs and, what stirs is not exactly like i wish we could just go back and do it like they did it but actually what gets stirred up is an imagination for for our own life right now for the life we can imagine for ourselves at least i have that sense something in us says wake up you know it's like like rilke's poem on on apollo where where um, and I think I mentioned this before and I, can, I credit where credit is due. I think um, same guy, James Hollis turned me on to this turn turned me on to this poem, but Roka has a, a whole poem about um, describing in great detail, this statue of Apollo, or I think it's the head of Apollo, like, and it's contours and it's shape and the color. And, and it's a very beautiful poem. And at the very end, it says, the very last line is change your life, change your life. So, Listening to the past, to the stories that have brought us thus far, to ask questions about what needs to be remembered, to look at the head of Apollo, to listen to Odysseus, to um, just recently in our, in our town, um, a statue went up of Rosa Parks. Um, And we have a Rosa Parks circle in in downtown Grand Rapids, but a statue went up, and it's very striking, this statue. And part of me asks, why are we putting this up? And part of it is because if we turn our gaze toward the past, it helps awaken our imagination for the future. It says something like, change your life. You, too, find your own way of uh, not moving your seat in the Rosa Parks circle, or of or we could reverse the metaphor of standing up into your, the fullness of who you are and what is yours to do in the world. Yeah, change your life. It says something like that. So, I don't know. I want to end with just a couple questions, and they're very simple. What do you remember? <laughs> what do you remember? What do you remember, remember about your life that in doing so, there's something poignant about it? It's worth talking about. It's worth passing on in a way. What do you remember? What do you hope? Here's another question. What do you hope you'll never forget? And, you know, I think about that question. I I think about, um, I just thought what popped in my head was uh, how I met my wife kind of mysteriously in a movie theater. She she was out on a date with with my roommate. And there's a lot more to the story. I won't go into it now, but... um, That's a moment I hope I'll never forget. I can still feel the strange energy that was uh, passing between us, a a mystery. And the mystery of my daughter's birth And, and really all my kids. And, you know, I could go on and on. What do I hope I'll never forget? And to forget it would be a great loss. It would be a loss of meaning. And, and then I think we can ask bigger questions like, what needs to be remembered, period? And just because it's old doesn't mean it has to be remembered. I mean, this is part of my own struggle with the Bible. You know, I think the Bible still has a place. That's why I sometimes do podcasts on it. But what needs to be remembered and what doesn't? What of the old stories still are telling the truth and what stories are not? Um, what needs to be remembered? Never forget, we say, well, what Exactly. And that requires contemplation and, I think, deep thinking. And yeah, that here's another question. What do you hope the next generation never forgets? Your own kids. What would you, I mean, if you've noticed like recently without getting deep into, into politics, it seems like we're having many of the same debates all over again. We're having many of the same marches all over again. We've had having many of the same conversations about um, rights and laws, and all over again. Here we are again. And but what do you hope the next generation never forgets? Like oh, um, being an American. And I know not everybody that listens to this podcast is an American. So take your own country. How did it come to be? What were the battles and struggles and philosophical possibilities that had to be wrestled through? Um, And what of those stories needs to be told? Because what I'm saying is that there is a relationship between actively turning your head in that direction, like that goddess, and really dipping into the pool of memory and our capacity to look forward and to imagine a future that's... um, more life-giving than the mainstream track that we're on. Because if we're honest, we're living in a suicidal, self-interested, and destructive global culture. And the most recent UN climate report confirms that all the way up and all the way down. It's frightening. And and, and your imagination matters. So we have to ask, how do we get here? What have we learned? Um, a lot of humility in that, like, <clears throat> all right, it's, we're not, we can't just start from nothing. What's worth passing on and what can we can imagine on the blank white page in front of us? So those are the bigger cultural questions. That's what I got for you today. Peace.